Good morning. My name is Matt Watson. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm thankful to be here this morning. It's been a hard week. It's been a sad week. And we want to pray for the Rutt family, um, for Dick, for Julie, Nate, the family, and Daryl. You know, and as we walk into the holiday season, it's a hard time of the year for, for many people. So just, you know, for many, we get to, we enjoy this, this season with Thanksgiving and Christmas and families, but for others, um, it's a reminder of who's not there. And so we just want to spend some time praying as we open up God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with heavy hearts this week. We think of the Rutt family. We think of Dick and Julie and Nate for all of the family, the grandkids, and just know that they are broken, broken this morning. And we just ask that you would help us, that you would help them and you'd be close to them and you would encourage them and you would comfort them in a way that only you can. I pray that your presence would would be felt and would be known in a really special way by their family this week, especially leading up to the service. God, we pray for Dick, that you would help him figure this out and that you would provide for him and lead him and care for him. God, I think of all of us in here, uh, for those especially who, this is a hard week for them. Thanksgiving, and as we start to think about Christmas, it's, it's a tough season for many. And we pray your grace. We pray for your encouragement, your kindness, your provision, God. We ask that you would help these families go through this season and hold on to you. God, now as we turn to your word, we pray that... No matter what we bring into the room this morning, that your truth by your word and through the spirit would speak and communicate with us. God, it is our desire that we would live and walk with you. And I pray that we would not be distracted by anything, but that we could study your word. We would hear from you. We'd be encouraged and challenged as we live and walk with you here out of this service. So God, we give you our time. We pray that you use it. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Ephesians 5 this morning, and our focus is on this far side of the box. We are focused now from here on out, this idea of walking worthy. Like we want to reflect and we want to live a life that's worthy of our past because of what we used to be. This is where we were. And because of what Christ has done, we now want to live and walk worthy of this side of the box. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been focused on how we're going to walk and how we're going to live. And we get to Ephesians 5, and we get a summary of the whole chapters 4 through 6. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Simple enough. Not really. Imitate God. This is a good summary of chapters 4 through 6. Look like God in how you live your life. Imitate him like a child imitates his parent. Like a child looks like his parent. Look like God. Everyone says to us how much Truman looks like me. Um, which I don't see it, but I hear it from everybody. Um, Ashley was at the mall a couple years ago, and a lady came up to her. They were playing at the playground, and Ashley didn't know this person. And she said, I just have to ask you. She said, I was at a church this last Sunday, and I was listening to a guy speak, and I'm looking at your son, and I'm, watch- I'm looking at him talk, and I'm looking at him laugh, and this is, a, this is an awkward question. Okay, very awkward, probably inappropriate question, but is your husband a pastor at one of the local churches? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, your son looks just like him. <laughs> Look like God. Imitate him. And that's where we kind of closed out last week's service. Remember Ephesians 4. Remember, he says, we need to speak truth. Why do we need to speak truth? Because Jesus is truth. He's the way and the truth. And so we need to live in truth because that's when we live in truth, we imitate, we reflect who Jesus is. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's saying we need to pursue forgiveness. We need to pursue reconciliation, being made right. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us. Micah says that God has taken our sins and cast them into the bottom of the ocean. And so when we forgive others for how they've wronged us, we are imitating the Father. Generosity. That we're not to steal. That's what the text says. Don't steal. But it's not just stop doing this action. It's don't steal so that you can be generous. Okay? Our Father has given to us everything generously. And so when we can be generous to others, we reflect, we imitate the Father and building up. We are to be kind to others with our words. And we think about how God has talked about us. We look at these words in this box. God builds us up in who we are. And so our words are to reflect and imitate who Christ is. And so that's what he's doing here in Ephesians 5.1. He's saying, imitate me. Live like I live. It's not just do the right thing. It's do what I do. Act like I act. Think like I think. There's a chapter in the Old Testament that I think reflects this idea really well. Leviticus 19. You've got these commands all throughout this chapter. And after each command, you have this statement repeated. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, do these things Live this way. Why? Because I'm your God. This is my heart. This is how I act. Some of those commands says this in verse one. And the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to all the congregation. You shall be holy for I am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord, your God. Verse nine of Leviticus 19. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. 
You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. He's saying, I care about the sojourner. I care about the poor. Therefore, you should care about the sojourner. You should care about the poor. And he goes through this whole chapter doing this time and time again. Don't oppress your neighbor. Don't hate your brother. And after everyone, I am the Lord your God. Imitate him. And for us, and as he goes in Ephesians 5, how he's, he's going to break this down. He's going to say, let me tell you how to imitate me. Walk like I walk. And so this morning, we're going to look at two specific cases of what he says here in Ephesians 5 about how to walk. Walk in love. Walk in light in verse 8. And then Matt Allett next Sunday is going to talk about the third walk. Walk in wisdom. And he's going to say, if you want to imitate me, walk like I walk. And remember, we've talked about this a lot. When I say walk, I'm not just saying how, like, how you, you get to one place. We're talking about how do you live your life? Walking was, an exam- was just a picture of how we get to places. And so when he says walk, he's saying, live your daily life just like I lived my life through my son, Jesus Christ. Live your life like my son lived his life. And so he starts into this. Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As I was writing my sermon, I knew that there were these other two walks that we were going to get to, and I kept you know, anticipating getting to these other two ways of walking. And the more I, I stayed on this verse, the more I realized there is here in this one verse. It is, this is life-changing to think about. Walk in love as Christ loved us. He's saying, love like Jesus loved Imitate my son and and think about how my son loved others. And that's how you should love the people around you. And it makes sense that if you don't know how Jesus loved, then you can't love the way that Jesus loved. First John says this. I think it's on the screen. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. Right there, let's stop. We have come to know and to believe the love of God. That God has for us. Okay, the assumption in this part of the verse is that there was a time where we didn't know and didn't believe in God's love. What he's saying is that there's the the you have the ability to grow in your knowledge of how Christ loved. And so if we are going to love like Christ loved and walk in love, imitating Christ's love, then we have to know how Jesus loved. And so I want to spend just a few minutes reflecting on how Christ loved. Now, this seems elementary. It seems maybe basic, but it's foreign. Like, we don't see love like this. So just a couple of points about Christ's love for us. Christ's love was daily and unbiased. Luke 10, if you want to turn there. This could be a whole nother sermon. Um, I love this story 
that Jesus tells the Good Samaritan because it was so countercultural. I'll just read a couple of verses starting at 29. He says, He, desiring to justify himself, that would be the lawyer that was pressing Jesus, said to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. So we're not going to go into the whole story. Two observations okay, about who the neighbor is and what the situation was that the man cared for the neighbor. Okay, Two observations. First, How is the man described by Jesus in verse 30? What details does Jesus give about this person that gets robbed and beaten? No details. How does he describe him in verse 30? A man. A man. You know what's interesting about that? Is you read this parable, it's pretty specific. Right? The parable's pretty specific about where they're going, about who's, who's walking on the other side of the road, who helps Jesus. Like It's a pretty descriptive parable, but when it comes to the person who is the neighbor, all we get is a man. What's Jesus trying to say? He's saying, your neighbor's anyone. Like I'm not going to be specific because your neighbor is anyone that has a need. And it doesn't matter if you know the person. It doesn't matter what social class the person is. It doesn't matter where the person lives. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. Like your neighbor is a man. And then I like the verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. The priest, just by chance, he's just going to Jerusalem. He's just going on his way daily. This is his normal path that he would take. And on his way, he sees the situation. It's daily. It's when we live our lives. Jesus' love. Acts 10 tells us that Jesus just walked around and he healed people. He healed everyone. Jesus' love was in the day-to-day. That's what he's telling us here. As you go about, as you go on your normal path. And it was for anyone. It's unbiased. Everyone. All. Not only was his love daily and unbiased, Jesus' love was costly. Costly. We learn about the depth of somebody's love for us by what it costs them. You learn about the depth of someone's love for you by what it costs them to be in relationship with you, right? So when I married Ashley, okay, we were still in college. That was, we were young. Okay, we were finishing our junior year in college, and I said, Hun, I'd like to go to grad school. Like, we're going to move to Texas. Okay, Ashley's from Lancaster. Now, I had never been to Lancaster before I met her. Okay, but she loves her family. And I said, we're moving to Texas. Like, this is where we're headed. And it changes our holidays. And it changes how often we can see your family. The cost was great. I remember... When Ashley told me that she doesn't like dogs, that she just does not prefer animals, dogs, just dogs. Long story, but, and I remember Ashley, and I love dogs, 
I love dogs. And I remember when Ashley said, you know what? Let's get a dog. Let's get a dog. Loving me is costly. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> when you, you can tell how much somebody loves someone by what it costs them. She was so thrilled to go to Texas. It was great because she loved me and she knew where we were going and she was excited for us, even though it was hard, even though it cost her what she thought she wanted to do. We moved to Texas. You could tell a lot about someone's love by what it cost them, by what they give. And, and to be honest, you know, talk, talking about love is really cheap to me. Talking, like expressing your love verbally just doesn't mean a lot to me. Show me, show me your love. Show me the cost of your love. Anyone can say they love you. Show it to me. There was a story that Chuck Colson shared, and I want to read it to you because I think it shares with us the cost of love. He was telling the story to a group of American prisoners of war. He told the story of a group of American prisoners of war during the Second World War who were made to do hard labor in a prison camp. Each had a shovel and would dig all day, then come in and give an account of his tool in the evening. One evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels and turned in rage to the 20 prisoners, demanding to know which one did not bring his shovel back. No one responded. The guard took out his gun and he said, "If you, I'm going to shoot five people if the guilty prisoner doesn't come forward. After a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old soldier stepped forward. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side, and took care of him, killed him. And he turned to the other and said, you better be more careful than he was. He goes and he counts the shovels. He miscounted the shovels. There were 20 shovels. The boy, because the guard said, if you don't come forward, I'm going to hurt more people. And the, guard sa- and, and the guy steps forward and says, it was me. He gave his life for his friends. That is costly love. And it is a small picture of Jesus' love for us and for the world and for the people around him that he died for us. He, it cost him his life. For us. One commentator that I read, Christ's death for us covers two ideas in our place and for our benefit. Ephesians 5 2, if we continue in the passage, he says, Imitate my love. And then he continues and he says, He describes this love. He says, He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. And sacrifice to God. This is kind of the emphasis of this love in this passage. He's saying, you know Jesus' love because he gave himself up for you. And he kind of goes back to the Old Testament, to the sacrifices. The picture of the the person giving the sacrifice in this sweet-smelling aroma. And and all that is saying is that God was, was pleased. He was pleased. He was satisfied by their obedience and by their worship. 
Jesus' love was costly. Another aspect of Christ's love was that it was undeserved. Okay, we know the depth of someone's love for someone by how little we deserve it. Right? You can learn about someone's love because if you look at the, the situation by how little the person deserves that love. So the, the more that they don't deserve the love, but they still are love, tells us about the greatness of the love. Right? It, that makes sense. And I think of the Good Samaritan. There was one line that the Good Samaritan says to Jesus. In John 4, 9, it says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Like, enemy. Jews looked at Samaritans as pigs, as lowly. And Jesus says, you know what? I love you. I care about you. Here is the truth for your life. Romans 5, 6 through 8, for why we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's easy to love someone who deserves it. It's easy to love the people who deserve it. It's much harder to love people who have wronged you, who have hurt you, but that's exactly what Christ has done. Christ's love, lastly, was beneficial was beneficial. We learn about the depth of someone's love for us by the greatness of the benefit that we receive. So when Ashley and I moved here and we had all those gift cards given to us, we felt loved. We got to go to all these great places, experience this community, and we felt loved by this church. Okay, when you you experience love by the benefit that it has for you, just think of the benefit of being loved by Christ. We have been rescued, redeemed. The benefit tells us how much Christ loves us. And so here's what he says. Walk in this love. Live a life that loves in this way. To those who don't deserve it, even if it costs you something, Love this way to anyone. Jesus loved everyone that he came into contact with. It didn't matter what their background was or what they did. It doesn't matter where he was or what he was doing, if he was busy or not. He he loved the people around him. And to walk in his love is to love this way. Love the people around you. Walk in this love. And then he goes on. Walk in light. Walk in light. I'm going to read the rest of our passage, 3 through 14. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure pure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 8 is the focus here. Verse 8, he says, Walk as children of light. Put off the sexual immorality, which he starts in verse 3. He says, don't do these things. This is sexual immorality. Instead, do these things. Put on thanksgiving. Put on living in the light. Okay, there's a lot of darkness in our world. There's a lot of darkness outside of this box. We live in this box. This is who we are. Outside of this box. There's darkness, right? Sexual darkness. Darkness in the choices that people make. Just turn on the radio, turn on the news. I was driving home this week and there was a lawyer talking. I can't, I won't even, I can't go into details because it's that awful. The lawyer saying these, this many priests and this is the, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania came out and did all these studies and findings, and it's just like, how many people were affected by this? Thousands of children affected by darkness. There's a lot of darkness outside of this box, and he's saying, live in the light. Live in the light. Live in the way that I have structured and designed this world. You know, the Father has created everything. He's created standards and he's created boundaries. And a lot of times we think, well, he's just keeping us from something. But the way that God has set up marriage and love and sex and relationships is beautiful and it's perfect. He's saying, live in this, in this lane Live with these boundaries and you will live in light. You go elsewhere, go off this path and you will experience darkness. Our father knows what's best. He knows what's best and he's saying, walk in light. Think, look at verse two and look at verse three. Okay, I, I can't skip this point. Look at verse two and look at verse three and just think of the contrast here. Jesus gives us everything. The cost of his love. Now look at the self-indulgence of 5.3. Jesus gives us himself freely, completely. And then in 5.3, we are indulging our selfish, sinful nature. How do we walk in light? How do we walk in light? Because remember... Again, we're imitating the Father, right? Just like we're imitating Christ's love, Jesus is the light of the world. And so we're walking and imitating who Christ is. How do we walk in light? Well, that's what verse 3 and on is telling us. Avoid, put off sexual sins. He lists three. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, 
Okay, we talked about some of those last week. They were included. The first, the first word, sexual immorality, is the word porneia. Okay, it rings a bell. Okay, it was a broad term used to describe sexual immorality. It covers all sorts of immorality. He's saying, don't live in that. Impurity, greed, we talked about last week, this desire to have more. This desire to just please yourself, like, give me more, give me more, give me more. He's saying, that must not be named among you. Three, three. That, that is not the picture of being in Christ. And then he gets even stronger here. Well, he goes on in verse four, he says, not only is it sexual sins that we're talking about that you need to put off, it's your speech, sinful speech, no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. He's saying your words matter, right? And we've been, we talked about this last week. Your heart and your mind produces your actions. And so if your, your mouth is filthy, if it's crude, if it's rude and disgusting, that's telling us about your heart. And he's saying, don't go there. And I, I was surprised as I was reading this passage, right? Because we've been doing put off and put on. Remember, put off lying, put off holding grudges, put off stealing, put off being rude, and put on these things. He's saying, put off sexual sin, put off sinful speech. What are you supposed to put on them? What does it say in our passage? Surprising to me. What does it say? Thanksgiving. Yeah, someone's listening. That's good. Thanksgiving. What a contrast. Like, it's the week of Thanksgiving. We're excited to be grateful. Why would Paul contrast sexual immorality with Thanksgiving? It's just interesting. And as I was reading and thinking about this, I've already said it, sexual immorality, the heart of sexual immorality is self Self-indulgence, greed, wanting more and more and more. And the heart of thanksgiving is gratitude, thankfulness for what other people have done for you. You can't focus on yourself when you're thankful. And he's saying, don't focus on yourself and what you want. Be thankful. Be grateful for what Christ has done. Well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with all of this? Like, is he overstating it. Well, I don't think he does. Look at verse um, five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Well, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now let's back up a little bit. Is he saying... That if you're in this box, you can't struggle with sexual sin. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, what's your identity? Because remember, your heart and your mind and your thoughts dictate how you live, right? So if you're in Christ, you're going to grow towards this way. And if you're not in Christ, you're going you're gonna to live in this, being dead and deceived and doomed and darkened. And, and so he's saying, what's your identity, 
Where, where do you live? Like, if this is what you are, defines your life, sexual immorality defines your life, it's who you are, it's where you live, then he's saying, you better check which box you're in. You better check which box you're in, because if you're in Christ, you're going to grow this way. Yeah, you're still going to struggle. There's still going to be things that you struggle with, but the question is, does it define you? Does it control you? And then he closes, verses 7 onward. Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. He's just saying it again. Walk in light. Okay, light has many functions. Light has many functions. Okay, we think of the song, the kids' songs. We love to say we're the light of the world. Like that makes us feel good. We can share the gospel. But he kind of goes a different way with light. Light reveals. Light is positive. Okay, but this, he closes with kind of a, what we would say is a little bit more of a challenging effect of light. Light exposes. He's saying, expose the darkness around you. Expose it. Light, you turn on light, you can see everything. And he's saying, expose darkness. Well, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by saying expose the darkness in others? He's saying you need to talk to others about the darkness of life outside of Christ. You need to talk to others about the darkness when you pursue indulging yourself. You need, I'll say it plainly, you need to talk to others about sin. And it's okay to talk about sin. That's what he's saying. Expose the darkness. Talk to others. Now, why don't we like to do that? Well, what if they punch us? Or what if they get angry? Like, what if they, you know, you're holier than now? Like, you're just beating me with the Bible. Like, we have all these stories in our brains about what people are going to say or think when we start talking about sin, okay? There's a, there's a good way of talking to someone about sin. There's a, there's a bad way of doing it. What I'm saying is this. Gently talk to people about sin. And you know what? In my experience, it's not hard. It's not hard. You think they're going to get offended. It doesn't always work like that. Why? Because it's true. And, and usually it goes something like this for me. I say, well, you know what? I used to, I struggle with sin. This is where I live. We've, I usually talk about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we, I've broken the Ten Commandments. You've broken the Ten Commandments. We live lives outside of being in Christ. Like Sin is not a hard thing for people to grasp because we've experienced it. All of us. Like it's, it's not like, well, no, I'm actually perfect. I don't do anything wrong. Nope, Ten Commandments. I do them all. Like, no. It's natural. Like, we understand that we have messed up. And so it's not a hard conversation if you just include yourself of how you used to be and say, hey, listen, we used to walk this way. This is how we live our life. And it's not the way that Christ has given his life for us. It's not what he wants us to do. And he's saying, expose the darkness in gentleness, in solidarity, saying, hey, I've been there, but now I'm in the light. I've experienced the light of Christ. And that's not the dark. You don't have to walk there. And so for us, as we close, 
It is my prayer that this week we will walk worthy. Walk worthy in light of this. In light of but God, what he's done for us, that we will love like he's loved. Even if we're on our schedule, even if we have things to do, if a situation comes up and we have an opportunity to love someone, even if it's costly, inconvenient, not looked upon highly, that we would love like Christ loved. And then that we would be in the light. Some of us are in Christ and holding on to darkness. Some of us are holding on to darkness. Like we're holding on to this heaviness of sexual immorality. And it's so heavy. And some of us need to expose the darkness in our own life. Because it closes. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. He's saying when you realize the darkness, Jesus comes and he's, he, there's resurrection. There's new life. Like You have to understand the darkness if you're going to understand Jesus being the light. You have to understand the past and your, your mistakes if you're going to understand who Christ is and what he's done for you. My prayer this week is that we would love like Jesus loves. We would live in the light of Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's a tough passage. It's a tough passage. Um, But we just think of you. I think of you. I think of your son and how he loved. And I pray that as we reflect, we've reflected on how Christ loved, to the extent that he loved, to the cost of his love, to the benefit of his love, that we would imitate that love. And we wouldn't just love those that are easy to love. That we wouldn't just love those who return something for us, but that we would love like your son did. And then God, I pray that you would help us to walk in the light. It is a dark world around us. I pray that we'd stay focused, living in your boundaries on your path, the way you've set things up, God. And if there's someone who feels right now that they are stuck in darkness, that they are being challenged by these these things that they hold onto, God, I pray that they would expose it, that they would bring it into your light, that they would talk to someone. Maybe it's me or another pastor or someone that they trust, that they would expose it because once we expose it, there's life. For the unbeliever, there's life. For the person that's in Christ, there's life when we expose and confess and talk about our darkness. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage, the conviction to do that. We are so thankful for how much you love us. And it's to your name we pray. Amen.